Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. everybody, welcome to Active Churches at Home. My name is Joe and I'm on the team here at Active and I'm so glad you are tuning in today. We're heading into our second week of our series, Whatever It Takes. Last week we had a great conversation and asked the question, what do we do when we don't know what to do, but would do whatever it takes to lead the ones we love, especially through crisis, maybe an addiction, maybe through worry, anxiety, pain. What do we do in these moments where the loved ones that are in our life are feeling pain, they're feeling worried, They're feeling lost. And we said we become whatever is needed. We turn our attention to ourselves and what we can control. Today, we're gonna be having a conversation about what it looks like to lead those around us in a practical and tangible way. And I have a leadership style that I wanna submit to you. But before that, let me tell you about a time that I was in high school. When I was in high school, I loved to put my foot in my mouth and I did so very often. One time we were at a birthday party and somebody was talking about somebody else's chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. For some reason, that got my heart boiling, and I said out loud, I can make better chocolate chip cookies. I don't know why I said that to this day, but the next thing you know, I found out that I was responsible for bringing all the chocolate chip cookies to the Friendsgiving that was happening in two weeks. Two weeks passes by, day of the Friendsgiving comes, and I still don't know how to make chocolate chip cookies. And so what I do is I look up a quick recipe, I see that I'm supposed to bake them for at 350 degrees and uh, I wanted to cut the time in half. And so I decided in that moment, I'm not going to do 350 degrees. I'm going to be, I'm going to cheat the system. I'm going to do it so much faster, so much more streamlined. I'm going to bake them at 450 degrees. Bad idea. What happened was bland, crispy, gross chocolate chip cookies. Instead, I dumped them all out, went to Albertsons, brought a a batch of cookies from Albertsons to my buddy's house, and everybody had a great time. And to this day, nobody knew that I did not make those chocolate chip cookies. But isn't it true that when the temperature changes, the contents of the oven also need to change? When the temperature around us, when there's crisis that is rising up, when it feels like the whole world is tense and on edge, the things that are in the oven also need to change or they're gonna be burned. In moments of crisis, we have an opportunity to consider the things that we're putting in the oven, consider the ingredients, consider what's actually in there. What are we actually trying to bake? When we think about our own lives, we have an opportunity in crisis to really think about what are the things that we are leading with? Who is the people that we are becoming? And how do we actually be helpful in this season that is kind of hot, kind of loud, and kind of intense. And today I wanna invite you to consider your leadership style in the middle of some of these crisis-driven moments. And if I could, there's a leadership style that I think is gonna be helpful for you, because it's been helpful for me, and it's been helpful for so many around us. And that style of leadership is called servant leadership. Now, when you hear this term, you may think servant leadership, those two words don't belong with each other. Servant, I am doing uh, what people tell me to do. And leadership, I'm supposed to be telling people 
what to do. But when you put these words together, what you find is a world full of contradictions where things shouldn't work, but they do. When you give more, you receive more. When you let go, you find yourself more full. In the 70s, Robert Green, Greenleaf, an engineer and a leadership expert, coined this term servant leadership to describe the idea that he believed was the best way to lead people. It was not by harsh expectations, strict schedules, high punishment, by commands. It wasn't those ways. He said the best way for people to lead is when the leader adopted this idea that his first responsibility, the chief responsibility of his, was to be a servant first. Servanthood is marked by considering others' needs, desires, purposes before your own. In simple terms, a servant is one who serves first and leads second. To best understand this, I think it's it's best if we compare and contrast these two from traditional leadership and servant leadership. Traditional leadership, you step into traditional leadership as a personal opportunity. I'm getting something out of this. I finally reached that moment. But in servant leadership, you are stepping into leadership because you are taking on the personal responsibility of those around you. In traditional leadership, you step into leadership as an advancement of yourself. I wanna go somewhere, this is a stepping stone. In servant leadership, you're stepping in for the advancement of others. I want this position, I want this role, I am motivated by helping those around me. In traditional leadership, the power that you hold as a leader drives your performance. As a servant leader, the power that you hold and the control that you have are shared amongst those around you to drive engagement. In traditional leadership, success of the organization, the company, those around you is measured by outcomes. And in servant leadership, it's measured by growth and development of not just the organization, but of the people around us. You see, the goals of traditional leadership and the goals of servant leadership are actually really simple when you look at them from 10,000 feet, but when you get up close and personal, you'll see that traditional leadership's goal is to move toward a better place for yourself and for the organization. And the goal of servant leadership is to move others toward being a better version of themselves, being even better than how we found them. When we lead with this mindset, this thought that people are the most important thing above anything else, that people are supposed to be our primary concern, that people that we lead are going to be better when I choose to look at them rather than the things that they do. Robert Greenleaf and so many who have come after him have said that we can expect not just outcomes, not just better performance, but what we can find is commitment, trust, and care for the people around them, for the people that we're responsible for, but also for the future of organizations, for the future of families, for the people, future of people, even in the middle of crisis. The thought of leaving others better than how we found them is so fascinating to me, and I, I think it would be fascinating to you because isn't that all of our goals? All of us have this desire and hope to leave our loved ones better than how we found them, to leave kids better off than how we found them, to leave the friends and family around us 
better than how we found them. I mean, wouldn't it be great if each person that comes into contact with us is a better human being after they spend time with us? I've heard the prayers of moms and grandmas, what they want for their kids, for their daughters, for their nieces and nephews, is they want them to be better and experience the best life possible. Now, what if we just took this principle of grandma and moms, of wanting life to be better, and let's just explode it onto everything that we do. And I know what you're thinking conceptually, how is this possible? Conceptually, this is a great idea in a perfect world. How can we actually make this work? But here's the thing, it's not just a lofty theory. This concept has really been tested and it's really been tried, especially over this past decade. There's been hundreds of books written about this idea of servant leadership. You can just Google it. And many of the Fortune 500 companies that you and I both love, adore, and care about, the ones who have been the most innovative and the ones who have been most excellent in the middle of crisis and stay successful have adopted these practices and concepts from the top down. Forbes Business Magazine actually just wrote this on considering leadership in the middle of 2020. The pandemic is affecting us all, individual, individually, organizationally, and societally. We are having to find new ways of working and normal business concerns are overlaid by added challenges. Different ways of operating, keeping staff safe and handling sickness and layoffs and furloughs and loss of income. Wider societal impacts include adverse effects on the global economy. This all calls for a more comprehensive communal, communal leadership approach. Leadership that is focused on serving others. When we're asking what to do and what we would do is whatever it takes to do to become better, can we consider, can we just think about how our leadership style and the leadership concepts that we apply to the people around us can actually make a significant difference? Today, I want us to consider what would it look like for us to begin to adopt some of these practices that servant leadership offers? What would it look like for us to adopt this mindset of, I just want people to be better when they're around me. I don't want them to be better human beings. I want to leave them better off than how I found them. And frankly, I don't know what to do all the time, but I do know that this kind of leadership principle offers me a way forward, even in the moments that I don't think there is a way forward. Leadership, as we know, it has to change. And it's changed already so much dramatically. Yesterday's answers will not always work for the new environments of tomorrow. But the thing is that this is not a completely brand new way of thinking. This worldview, this concept, this philosophy is actually something that's rooted back 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. If you look back, you would actually say that Jesus is probably the greatest servant leader that the world has ever seen and the world has ever known. And today, in our short time that we have together, I think you'll see that Jesus' way of leading was one that changed the entire world. But it didn't just change the entire world, it can change your entire world when you begin to adopt some of the concepts that he has put into practice. The great part is that there's just three tools that I wanna hand you today. They're just three things that I think are gonna be helpful for you today. And we're just gonna read through three different stories of Jesus. And as we go through these three stories, I think what we're gonna find is that there is a better way forward and there is a way that we can help people tell better stories in every single season they're in. The first tool of the servant leader that I wanna offer you is the tool of empathy. If you would join me in Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 to 38, we're gonna jump in in just a minute. But in the early accounts of Jesus's life, 
Jesus was all about sharing this good news that he had, this good news that all people can come close to God. Again, to a God who desperately wanted to know them. Wherever he went, the crowds were growing at an exponential rate. It was getting more packed. It was getting more intense and more people were coming to him. And in the beginning of chapter nine, what we see is Jesus pauses and he looks at these crowds that have been growing and he says, and it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In the moment of seeing the crowds, the first thing Jesus does is he sees them as helpless. His heart breaks. He sees their pains. He sees their woes. He sees their worries. He sees that they're coming to him because they're in desperate need of a brand new way of doing things. His heart broke for these people in the middle of crisis. The very definition of empathy is when you're able to understand and resonate with the feelings of others. And if you don't resonate and don't understand and we criticize and we complain about the feelings of others, you know what happens in those moments? People turn their backs from you. Yeah, you may be responsible for them. You may give them a paycheck, but you don't lead them in that moment. When we look at people, how do you view them? How do we view people who are in crisis or in need of help? Do we look at them for what they produce? Do we look at them as a product that can be interchanged? Do we look at them as an interchangeable part? Or do we look at them as people who are hurting and in need? People tend to associate their work with their productivity. What Jesus does in this moment is he associates their value with their humanity. See, you and I both do this thing where if we're unable to do something or if we're not smart enough or not qualified enough, uh, we can really put a lot of pressure on ourselves to work harder and to be better. And we can often associate ourselves with the things that we do. But you and I both know we're not products. We're more than that. We're people. And Jesus reminds us of that is that people are people. And he asks, can we make people people again? It's a rehumanizing thing when you're, when you're willing to look at somebody who has flaws, who has pain, who has worries and say, I see you, I hear you, I notice that and you are more important than the things that you do. Empathy makes people people again. And when you do this, when you make people people again, when you empathize with their woes and their worries, what happens is that you watch them blossom. Nobody wants to be known as just being a product. I think we all have this desire and heart to be known for who we are. When I was in school, when I was in college, um, I remember a professor coming up to me and uh, he had asked me, what's going on? And at that season of, of life, I remember being really tired of school. Financial stresses have been, were really real. I was about to graduate and thinking about what was next and that was overwhelming my soul and overwhelming my mind. And this was a class that I absolutely loved. For about two weeks, I completely checked out. Mentally, I wasn't all there. I remember being in the class and my eyes just glazed over. I remember I was, I was doing less and less for my homework assignments. And I remember the teacher coming to me and being like, what's up, man? Are, are you 
what's going on? And I remember automatically going to defense, like, oh, you know what? I, I, I'm fine. I'll, I'll re-engage. I'll, be, I'll, I'll do better. And he would stop me. And he would say, no, I, are you okay? My concern isn't about the homework. My concern isn't about what you're producing. My concern is you. He, in that moment, he made me a person again. And what had happened after that is I came into that class ready to go because I no longer was just a student. I was somebody that he deeply cared about. Empathy changes the game for people. And I know empathy may not come natural for all of us because it didn't come naturally for me. But just because something's not natural doesn't mean that we don't do it. I've seen people working out the gym and some of those motions that they're doing are not very natural, but does it mean it's not important? No, it's so important. Empathy is so important. I would even say as we head into this next season of life, it is the very thing that is going to separate you from so many other leaders because it says, I see you. So I want to give you one way that you can practice empathy today. Ask rather than assume. Ask rather than expect. Ask people how they are and then ask yourself, did I really mean that? When we begin to ask people what's going on in their life and if they're okay and, and how you can be present for them, what you'll see is that people's world begins to change because they no longer just feel as their products going through the motion. Right now we're in a season where so many people, including our kids, not everybody feels perfect right now. Nobody feels like themselves. Empathy says, I'm going to see you and I'm going to hear you. I'm going to be present for you right where you are at. By listening and empathizing, you'll find a greater level of trust and you'll also find a greater level of commitment. The second tool of a servant leader that I want to just hand you today is the tool of inspiration. In John chapter 8, the disciple John tells about a time that he was teaching, that Jesus was teaching at the temple. And while he was teaching at the temple, a woman was brought to him who was disheveled, who was red in the face. She was obviously had been crying and she was brought by other religious fig figures and she was pushed through a crowd and tossed in front of Jesus. And these religious figures said to Jesus, this woman was just caught in adultery. What do you want to do about it? This woman was just caught doing something that we all know she shouldn't have been doing. This woman was just caught, and you know that stoning, like throwing stones at this girl was supposed to be the answer. See, what we learn actually as we're reading this passage is that these people didn't do this for the sake of tradition. They didn't do this for the sake of religious law. They did this because they were trying to make a point. They wanted to trap Jesus into saying something that would incriminate himself. And so now we have this girl who is humiliated publicly in front of everybody, tears in her eyes, knowing she did something wrong, knowing that she was in pain, knowing that she chose the wrong way. And these men, these religious figures are using her as an example. They're humiliating her. Yes, what she did was wrong. But I love what Jesus does in this moment. He kneels down and begins to draw in the ground. John 8, chapter, seven, chapter 8, verse 7 says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this time, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, 
Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. I'm going to teach you some of the most powerful words you can ever share with anybody. I believe in you. I believe in you. What Jesus is doing in that moment as he is picking this woman off the ground, as he is pushing the crowds away from her by a simple question and by telling her to go and leave her life of sin, what he is telling her is, I believe in you. He could have talked about her brokenness. He could have talked about all the problems. But what I know to be true is that none of that is helpful in this moment. What this woman needed was to be told that there was a better way forward. What this woman needed was somebody to believe in her. I used to work in student ministries and something I would always tell my team because it was told to me was that every student is just one adult away from being a success story. Every student is just one adult away from being a success story. Why? Because adults who believe in students can change their world. And now being a little older, I realize it's not just students. I believe now that every person is one interaction away from being a success story. Every person is one interaction away from being a success story. Do we believe, do we believe in the people that we're leading? And do they know that we believe in them? You ever heard that, that fun little kid story, fun little kid song? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. I wish that was true. It's really cute. But I know that the things that have stayed with me the longest have been words. Words that were said to me that were really damaging. Words that have left scars on me and left scars on my soul. And also words that haven't been said. Words like, I'm sorry. Words like, I love you. Words like, I believe in you. Our words are powerful tools. Don't ever tell me that words aren't powerful tools and don't ever underestimate the power of your words with your kids, with your friends, with your spouse, with the employees. Don't ever forget that your words carry so much weight. A text message, a phone call, an email, a Facebook message. Those words placed in the middle of crisis have the possibility of rearranging realities. They have the possibility of people saying, I have hope again. I'll give this one more chance. I'll keep going. I'll keep moving forward. It just takes the act of belief. If you want to inspire somebody, believe in someone. See, great actions, inspirational actions are great. But words, like I believe in you, can be even greater. You'll be blown away when you begin to believe in the people you're leading. And and they know it. Leaders who embrace inspiration find themselves surrounded by trust and motivated by trust. And the third and final tool I just want to hand you today is the tool of action. John chapter 13, if you would turn there with me, mark it in your Bible. You're going to want to check out this story at some point. This story is so powerful. I just want to read the beginning of it, and I want you to check out the rest at another time. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Isn't it so interesting? Isn't it so powerful that the thing Jesus does after he finds out that he's coming into his power and he's about to step into his divine purpose, the thing that he does first is he takes off his cloak and he fills a basin full of water and he gets on his hands and knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He begins to wash those he loves their feet. He begins to care and do the thing that nobody else would do. You see, washing feet back in that day and age was reserved for servants and slaves. And Jesus says, I'm going to take on this role and I'm going to be, do the thing for you that a teacher, that a master, that a rabbi, that a Lord, that a God figure shouldn't be doing because I want to show you first and foremost that I came to serve you. And then he turns around after this is all over and he says, now do this to each other. Never put anything beneath you. Act and respond because love, your love can actually change the world, can actually rearrange people's reality. Leadership is love come to life. Empathy says, I'm here for you. Inspiration says, I believe in you. Love says, I will do whatever it takes to make you better. And Jesus washing his disciples' feet lets them know that this is the model, not just for you, but this is the model for the world. Can you imagine what the world would look like if instead of us throwing crisis and throwing critique and wanting everybody to fix all the problems, we actually stopped for a moment and picked up a towel and said, I can clean this thing up. I can be a part of the solution. I can be a part of helping the people around you, the leaders that you are responsible for and the employees that you're responsible for, those kids, the students, all the people that you're responsible for as a leader, they need you, may just need you in this moment to stop, pause, and join them in the crisis. Join them in the confusion. Empathize with them, inspire them, but also do life and serve alongside of them. The servant leader knows that to change people's world, we have to be willing to clean up the mess. There's already so much noise in this world on what to do, what not to do, but what a world in crisis needs is less noise and more towels. Be a part of the cleanup. When you build a culture of action in your home and in your work, you're gonna see a dramatic shift in attitude that's gonna blow your mind. Because instead of who's gonna clean up this mess, it's gonna be on how can I help in the best way to clean up this mess because I take responsibility for this world. Jesus took responsibility for us and he's saying take responsibility for the lives and the worlds around you and we can tell better stories together. I have a friend named Steve and Steve was a fire chaplain in Redlands. He was a pastor at a church. He was also a hospital chaplain, a hospice chaplain and he sat with people in their last moments. He grieved with families. He was there for first responders. Steve loved me and he loved my wife really well. And he was present in so many significant moments for us. I also had the privilege of him being a part of our church community at one point in time for about six months as he transitioned into retirement. 
transition into retirement because he looked at the state of the church and said, it's time for young people to lead this thing. His heart and his hope was always to be the first one to pick up a towel and be the last one to leave. He wanted to be the first one into the party and the last one to leave the party. His heart was to encourage and to love people until the very end. Last week, Steve passed away suddenly. But the thing about Steve is that this world is better because of him. The world will never be the same. And it will never be the same, not because he's not here, but it will never be the same because he made this world better. He loved people he didn't have to love. He was present for people he didn't have to be present for. He empathized and listened and grieved and, and, and cried and was in tears, but was also encouraging and cheering and shouting out loud for those that he believed in. He shared with me and my wife words that would change our world and rearrange our reality. And Steve now, Steve now, though he is gone, made my world and made this world better. If we want to make this world better, we got to be like Steve. And we got to be the first one to pick up a towel. See, Steve didn't walk big. Or Steve didn't talk big. Steve walked big. Steve didn't just act flashy. Steve wasn't just a flashy leader. No, Steve wanted this world to be a better place. And he knew the best way to do that was to do as his Jesus did and do whatever it takes to clean up the mess and help people find their towels. When we find our towel, we find our purpose because we find out the people around us, the best way we can lead, the best way we can love, the best way we can be present is to help them by getting involved in their mess as Jesus got involved in our mess. Jesus wants to be a part of your story. As he washed the disciples' feet, he's just saying, let me serve you. There's nothing I'm asking of you. I'm just asking you to let me be a part of your life. And Jesus' invitation is, will you let me do it? Will you let me serve you? In Jesus serving us, he gives us life. He tells us that a better story is possible. And he says, we together can make this world a better place. I believe in you, Active. I believe in you, Church. But I believe in you because Jesus believed in me. And I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. If you've never done that before, Jesus has a story for you. And it's just one decision away. Before I finish off today, if you want to make that decision, would you just let us know in the comment section? He has done whatever it takes to reach you. And I truly believe that there is more for your story and it, I want to do this life and this story with you. As God steps into your life and rearranges our reality and teaches it what it looks like to be a servant leader. Rejoin me in prayer. Father God, we give you our hearts, our mind, and our soul. And God, in this moment, we give you our worries. We also turn that worry into worship and believe that you can tell better stories. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for loving us. Now help us serve others around us. We all have so in your sense of living and all God's people said, Amen.
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.